All right, so we're going to go ahead and get started. We will start by opening with a word of prayer, and then we will jump right into our topic that we were talking about last time together. We were talking about life after death, right? What happens after we die. So, most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the joy and the privilege of being able to come into your presence, to be among your people, to open your word, and to learn your truth. Your word is truth, O Lord, and you have given it to, given it to us so that we may know you and so that we may have a, a fellowship with you uh, for eternity. And we are grateful and thankful that you loved us enough to send your son to save us, uh, to die on that cross and to, to carry our sins uh, and separate them from us as far as the east is from the west. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Lord, you know every man and woman in this room, and, and it, would, it would be awful for me to assume that everyone here knows you. There may be someone here today who has never trusted you as Lord and Savior. And my prayer is that as we study your word, if it be your will, that you will open their heart, their eyes, their mind, and their lives to these truths. I pray that you will help them to know your salvation. For those who are here, uh, Lord, that do know you, that are walking with you and fellowshipping with you and have your spirit within them, I pray that you will use this time, this lesson, these studies of your, the study of your word, um, to do as you have promised, which is to conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. So we belong to you, and we are your servants, and we are here, so speak, O Lord. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. All right, so the last time we were together, let me, let me pull up the text we were looking at. We used as our jumping off text last time we were together. Um, we were in the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Psalm, and we were at, let's see, we uh, said uh, in Psalm 39.4, it says, Show me, O Lord, my end and the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. And so the psalmist is praying to God and saying, God, make me aware of how, how few breaths I really have. And when we're young, we think we got all of our life ahead of us. And as we grow older, we start realizing that we don't have as much time as we had before. Time starts picking up and speeding up. But the reality is the earth is still rotating around the sun at the same speed it was when you was born. But deep down inside of you, you are made more and more aware that you have less and less time. And so the psalmist is praying to God and saying, God, make sure that I am always constantly aware of how fleeting this life is. That one day you will come and in the same way that you blew, blew breath into my nose, one day you will draw that last breath out of my nose. And help me to remember that. And then we went to Ecclesiastes 7, 2, and we saw where Solomon said, It is better to enter the house of mourning than a house of feasting, since death is the end of every man and the living should take it to heart. And we get closest to God at funerals. We get close to God in hospital rooms and ICU units, do we not? We get closer to God when we're in an ambulance on the way somewhere than we do at a wedding or at a birthday party, right? When we are in a happy, happy, joy, joy uh, mode of life, we kind of forget that God is there. We just get on with our lives and do what we want to do. But when, when the struggles of life really hit, when we have to uh, look over the, the uh, escaped body or the evacuated body of a loved one laying in a wooden box, 
it's at those times in life that we realize how short life really is and and that you and each and every one of us in this room are one day going to answer for every thought word and deed we've had in this body and were it not for the blood of jesus christ and the mercy and forgiveness of god that would be a horrifying thing to think of would it not to think that i'm going to answer for every word thought and deed that i have ever committed or, or done and so we it's, we're thankful that we have a god who is merciful but we also have a god who is just who holds us accountable for the way that we live our lives there's not a single one of us in this room that doesn't fail him on the daily and if you are at a point in your life where you think you're not failing him on the daily uh, then you certainly have not grasped the concept of love him with all your heart all your mind and all of your strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself if you think that you've lived your life today in a way that is, is completely and totally pleasing to him, that you have not had one thought or done one thing that, or forgot to do one thing or omitted to do one thing in your life, we all fall short of the glory of God every day. Right. Every day. And, and so these breaths that you have are a, a gift from God. They're very special. Each and every breath that you take and, and the breath of your family and your loved ones is very special. And the, the breath of the people that you run into on the streets every day is a very special thing. And we have to understand that this life is fleeting. And so this is Christmas time, and, and we do like to have the happy, 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 joy, joy Christmas time uh, sermons. But the reality is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ looks best on the backdrop of our sin and our fallenness and the curse that we are under because it's then that that light really shines and we realize how special his gift of salvation is, how special his mercy and his forgiveness is. We think about the little baby Jesus at the manger and we forget how what a wonderful gift that was and what, it, what that gift really signified, that people were dying, they were poor, they were overtaxed, they were... Uh, uh, afraid and alone they were struggling in sin and death and poverty and and brokenness and and a world that would was giving them no hope and god so loved us that he sent his son to rescue us and to save us from our enemies right that's what it says in luke it says he come to save us from our enemies and who are our enemies the world the flesh and the devil he come to set us free from those things and that's a wonderful thing so last time we were together after that we got into paragraph one of the 1689 london baptist confession of faith which says that the fate we talked about the fate of the righteous and the wicked we learned that the bodies of men after death return to dust our bodies dust thou art and dust thou shall return right we looked at genesis 3:19, and we realized that this body that you have is made of dust. Dust you are and you will turn back to the dust. You go dig anybody up in the cemetery and you'll see that. That's exactly what happens to our bodies. And um, they're, they're full of corruption. We talked about how we are constantly dying every day. That our bodies are in a process of dying. But we have a body that is corruptible. But we also have a spirit, a soul within us that is set for eternity. And so when the body dies, the soul is released from the body and it goes to its eternal home. So I do want to emphasize again the fact that when you draw your last breath on this earth, when you breathe out that last breath, when God takes that last breath from you, the next breath that you breathe will be a spiritual breath in your eternal home. Your soul will breathe in eternity. 
And that eternity that you will breathe in will be based on your righteousness or your unrighteousness. And if you are an unrighteous person, the first breath that you will take will be into the fumes of a torment and hell that's last for eternity. But if you are a child of God, if you are forgiven, if you are born again, blood-bought child of God, that next breath you draw to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And what a wonderful hope that is for those of us who know him as Lord and Savior. And so we talked about how the souls of the righteous being made perfect in holiness are received into paradise. Now I want to talk about that for a second. The souls of the righteous being made perfect in holiness. What does it mean to say that you are righteous? What does that mean? You ever think about that? What does it mean to say you are righteous? Um, I, I'm right now in our at my church. We're doing the the life of Christ through harmony of the gospels, and we and it just so happens that this is only my tenth sermon preaching to these folks, and so we're doing the life of Christ. Well, guess where we are right now? We're at the birth of Christ. Like John the Baptist just was born last week, and this coming up week, we're going to see Mary and Joseph take off to Bethlehem for Jesus to be born. And um, over and over again in the lives of Elizabeth and Zachariah, who are whose whose parents? Whose parents are Elizabeth and Zechariah? John. John the Baptist. That's exactly right. And then Joseph's got parents who are Jesus and uh, Joseph and Mary. Mary all right. And and on, in all four instances, it said that they were righteous. In all four cases, of all four of those people, it says they were righteous. Well, what does that mean, actually? Yes, sir. They follow, so that is an indication that one is righteous. They follow God's word. Good. But what does it actually mean to be righteous? Being in the right. Uh oh, we got a we got a glossary. What's it say? Being in the right in relation to God, not guilty before God. Yeah, to be in a right relationship with God and not guilty before God. And what that means is, is that when God looks at you, you are pleasing to Him. That's what it means to be righteous. And here's the beauty of that. The only way that he will see you as righteous is if his son Jesus has shared his righteousness with you. It's not your righteousness that gets you into heaven. When Jesus died on the cross, he was dying to take away all of your what? Unrighteousness. You see? Jesus was dying on the cross to take away all of your unrighteousness. And when he died on that cross, he said, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might know the righteousness of Christ. So as he died on that cross, he died to take away all of your sins. How many of your sins? All of them. The ones from yesterday, the ones today, and the ones that you're going to commit tomorrow. So how many of your sins has Jesus paid for? All of them. But the beauty of that is not only did he take away your unrighteousness, he imputed his righteousness to you. What do I mean to say he imputed his righteousness to you? He gave you full credit for all of the righteousness that he is. So who is the only person that has ever lived a perfect life? Always pleased the Father and always did his will. Jesus. All right. Now, if you are in this room and you have heard the gospel and you have repented of your sins and turned away from sin itself and turned to Christ, not only has he taken away your unrighteousness, but he shared his righteousness with you. Now, what that means is that from now on, the rest of your life, when our Father, who art in heaven, looks down on you, he doesn't see your unrighteousness. He sees you covered in the righteousness of his Son. You see? So who is the only person that has ever lived good enough to get to heaven? 
Jesus. Good. And what that means is the only reason that you and I would go to heaven is because we have the righteousness of Christ. He shared that with you. That's part of the gift of the gospel. And so I bring this up, and we're going to get off the track, but I want to bring this up because it's very important to you. I have my, my phone here in front of me, and my and my phone is recording this message, but as I look in the top right-hand corner, there's a literal little battery thing, and it says I got 63% battery. That'll last me at least four or five more hours, so I should be okay to get the class done. We're not going to go four or five hours, but... I, I bring up this battery because when it gets down to the red, my phone goes, we're going to go into safe mode, and it shuts down, and I have to go plug it in, right, and charge it. And so many people think that their righteousness is like a phone battery. In other words, now that you're sitting in this class today studying the Bible, right, what's happening to your righteous meter? It's going up. You see, you're charging, all right? And then uh, when you uh, do a good work or you go to your bed tonight and you pray to God, what's your righteousness meter doing? It's going up, right? You see? And then tonight when you get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and you kick your toe on the corner of the coffee table and you say a bunch of words that you shouldn't be saying, what happens to your righteous meter? It goes down, right? That's not how it works. What you're depending on when you're looking at that righteous meter is your goodness. And the problem is you're never going to be good enough. You're dependent on yourself and it'll frustrate you. People that teach that you can lose your salvation, that's the reason they say you can lose your salvation. Because who are you dependent on? You're dependent on you. And I can promise you this. Here's a little secret. If you could lose your salvation, you would have already done it. You see what I'm saying? So what saves us is the righteousness of Christ. What saves us is the work that he did. He lived a life that you couldn't live so that you could have a life that you could never earn. You see? He lived the perfect life and pleased his father. And then he went to that cross willingly and said, Father, you take all of her unrighteousness, all of his unrighteousness, and you pour it on me. I'll take the death that she deserved. I'll take the death that he deserved. And I will give them my righteousness. So when the father looks down at you tonight, he sees a full righteousness meter. You see how that works? Do you you understand why the gospel is such good news? Because it's not about how good you are. It's about how good your Savior is. If it was about your goodness, then you would be your own Savior. And you're not. And so... Studying your Bible, praying, going to church, being baptized, taking communion, uh, doing works of kindness, right? Tithing. All of those things are wonderful things. And they're commands. We're to do them. But we're doing them not to earn righteousness. We're doing them to express righteousness. Let me say that again. You're doing these things not to earn righteousness, but to express it. And that's very important for you to remember because it's about what he's done for you. And that's what the gospel message is about. Okay, so back out of that rabbit hole, the souls of the righteous being made perfect in holiness are received into paradise where they are with Christ. And they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell where they remain in torment and utter darkness reserved to the judgment of the great day besides these two places for the soul separated from body the scriptures acknowledges none 
So you go one of two places. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. Why do people go to hell? Okay, that's a good, that's, a, that's an answer. How many agree with him? The reason they go to hell is because they don't accept Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. Well, in a sense, you're right. The reason that we go, the reason that someone goes to hell is to pay for the sins that they've committed. Not accepting Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, is an act of unbelief. And unbelief is a sin. You see? But the reason we go to hell is to pay for our sins. All right? If Christ has died on the cross for you, what has he done? Pay for them. You see? So we don't have to go to hell because he's paid the price. He took the hell I deserved. And so now I get to heaven that I couldn't earn. All right? So two places we can go. We went through all those passages of Scripture. I want to go ahead and let's turn to a, um, a text that's cited in this. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All right. So if the, she'll go all day, so please uh, just get all now. I never had a ball. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. All right, let's look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and let's look what he says here. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1. Everybody there? For we know, who's we? The believers. We know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. All right, what is our earthly tent? Our bodies, yeah. We know that if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, not made with hands eternal in the heavens, for indeed in this we groan. Longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. You remember what Jesus said? I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? In my house there are many mansions. What is a mansion? A dwelling place, all right? So what is he going to prepare for us? Our new bodies, right? Right. A dwelling place. And what? where are we going to dwell? Where's your soul going to dwell when you get to heaven? Right? When I was a kid in, in the old gospel church, we used to sing songs. I got a mansion just over the hilltop, blah, 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 right? The, the house that you are going to dwell in, in the new heavens and the new earth, is your eternal body. That's your dwelling place. You see how that works? So he says, Paul saying, we know that if this earthly tent gets torn down, that we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Right? How many of y'all know what it means to groan? Right? Any of you get sore? You get tired? Right? Your bones crack? Right? So our old bodies are breaking down and we groan. And it says this. It says, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. How many of you have... I, I, I'm going to tell on myself here. How many of you have ever had a thought like this before? And like, have you ever had a thought that, well, maybe my parents aren't really my parents. Like, maybe I really do come from, like, some rich, really, like, super rich, influent, influenced people, you know? And they just put me, they just put me in a in a poor situation to see how I would do. And, like, one day my real mom and my real dad are going to show up, and I'm going to find out that I was rich, like, Right. Yeah, I don't ever thought about anything like that. Like, maybe these aren't my parents. Maybe, maybe I got. Or how about this one? 
How about this one? I bet you've thought this. I know without a doubt that my life was intended to be better than this. Right? I just know that it's something it's supposed to be better. Like I just know it. I just know that this ain't the way it was supposed to turn out. Anybody that feel like that? Well, what we do know is this, is that we, because we are sons of Adam, deep down inside of us, there is a part of us that still feels the loss that Adam and Eve felt when they lost paradise. Like there's a groaning inside of me that is passed down genetically from my parents and grandparents. All the way back to Adam. Adam and Eve had it perfect. They had everything they could ever want. God gave them the whole earth and said, uh, be fruitful, multiply, uh, command over it, take care of it, watch over it, right? They had everything, and they lost it. They watched their, you know, 500 generations of their kids or 50 generations of their kids destroying one another. They, they saw all of the perfect gifts that God had given them just go up in smoke. And so we know deep down inside our bodies were constantly growing because we know it's supposed to be better than this. Like, it's got to be better than this. Well, it is in eternity for those who are righteous, those who have trusted Christ, those who are born again, children of God. And so Paul says in verse four, for indeed we are in this tent. We groan being burdened because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. What's the opposite of mortal? Immortal. Yeah. All right. Now. He who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. He's given you the Holy Spirit, and deep down inside of you, you know it's going to be better. You know that on the other side, there's more hope than we have here. You know when you stand over that coffin of a loved one that is a true believer, that they are definitely in a better place. Like you really do believe that, right? When you go up to a casket and you stand by next to somebody at a casket and they say, oh, they look so good. No, they don't. They look dead. (laughs) They're pale. There's no blood in them. They're cold. They're stiff. And they got their lips sewn together so that their mouth don't come popping open. Right? They don't look good. They don't look, that don't look natural at all. But you know that there's no soul in there anymore. That soul has left the body and it's in its eternal home. If any of you, I don't know how many of you have ever had the, the privilege or the joy of holding someone's hand uh, when they take their last breath, right? And I've, I've had the privilege and the joy of holding someone's hand that was taking their last breath that was a believer. And I've had the horror and the sadness of holding someone's hand who was died denying God. And there's a complete different, it's just completely different. It's just completely different. Because once you get to that point where you're drawing your last couple breaths, there's no more acting. There's no more playing games. There's no more uh, denial. What you've been denying all of your life deep down inside comes out. And you know whether that person, you you can just tell the difference in a believer and a non-believer. And don't get me wrong, believer, we're scared too when we die. You're a fool if you're not. But there's a peace that comes over that person. Because what it is, it's the last groanings of this old temporary body trying to hold on to whatever it can. 
And then the soul set free. And so Paul says uh, that now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the spirit as a pledge. Pretty cool thing to think. That God has given you his spirit so that you can know that you belong to him and that you can know that you are going to your eternal home. It's a gift he gives us. All right, let's look back at what it says again. It says... All right. It says that uh, we understand now, after studying that paragraph, the basic gist of it is this. We are made up of two parts. What are they? Body and soul. All right. And upon dying, what happens to the body? It corrupts and rots. And what happens to the soul? It goes to its eternal home. All right. That's the simple gist of this whole lesson. All right. Now, let's talk about the last day. Now, I do want you uh, to understand that when the Bible talks about the last day, I've never found it in there in the plural. The day of the Lord, the last day, judgment day. It's never the last days, the days of the Lord or judgment days. It's always in the singular. Now, that's important. Not only that, but when we talk about the resurrection. How many of y'all heard that term before in the Bible? (coughs) Jesus resurrected and there's going to be a resurrection of the dead and the living, right? Or the dead. All right. It never says the resurrections. So what I want to propose to you, and I challenge you to find a different statement in the Bible, I'm going to propose to you that the Bible teaches that there is one general resurrection. One. Not three or four different times in different places. One general resurrection. So let me read the paragraph, and then we'll look at some passages of Scripture together. It says this. At the last day... Such of the saints as are found alive shall not sleep, but be changed. And all the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies and none other. Although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. Let me read that again. At the last day, such of the saints as are found alive shall not sleep, but be changed. All right. So on the last day. Don't say last days. Last day, the saints that are found alive. Who is that? Who would that be? If he were to come back right now tonight and rip the sky open, the the believers who are alive right now will not go to sleep. What did it say will happen to them? They will be changed. Is that the rapture? Yes, in a sense. Yes, it is the rapture. So what happens? Their bodies are changed. What are they changed to? What are our bodies changed to? Our glorified bodies. That's exactly right. The same body that Jesus came out of the grave with. We will have bodies just like his. And we remember Jesus ate fish, right? He said, give me a piece of fish. Right? He went and had meals with them. And uh, there was a time when he was walking with some people and they could not recognize him. Right? And so the reality is, is on this last day... 
All of the saints that are alive will not sleep, but they will be changed. Think about Elijah and think about Enoch. What happened to them? They were alive. They didn't die, did they? Right? They just went straight on up into heaven. Now, it says this. Although with different qualities which shall be not united again to their soul forever. So let me prove this to you scripturally. All right, I want to I want to make sure we got some scripture to back up what I'm teaching. So turn with me. Uh, we got a couple of passages of scripture. Let's look at um, Job 19. We'll go to Job 19 and look at verses 23 to 27. Job is that Old Testament or New Testament? Good. Job um, 19. Job 19, verses 23 to 27. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. This is Job. And he's crying out to God. Now, think about what he's saying there. Listen to what he said. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. He got his wish, didn't he? Right? I mean, we're reading today. It was written. It was inscribed in a book. That with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. As for me, this is Job. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will rise up over the what? dust of this world even after my skin is destroyed yet from my flesh I shall behold God let's read that again see what Job's saying there look at verse uh, 25 as for me I know that my redeemer lives Who? what does it mean to say that he's a redeemer what do we say it means to redeem something If you redeem a coupon, what do you do? You, you, you're paying with it. You're trading it in for the value that it's worth. All right. If you go over to that little gas station over there, and all of you, none of y'all smoke anymore, but if you were to go there and buy you a pack of cigarettes, they would charge you probably five or six dollars for it, right? And in order to take those cigarettes out of the store, you have to redeem them. Right? And if they're five dollars and fifty cent, and you give him five dollars and thirty cent and walk out, he's going to stop you and make you what? Pay more because there's a redemption price involved. Job is saying, my Redeemer lives. Jesus is alive. Uh Right? And he says, my Redeemer is someone who's going to purchase him. So what was Jesus doing on the cross? Not only was he purchasing your salvation, he was purchasing Job's salvation. He was redeeming. He was paying the price it costed to redeem him. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he's, what did he say then? And at the last, he will rise up over the dust of this world. Sound familiar? And even after my skin is destroyed, where's Job right now? Well, Job is in heaven, but where's his body? It's over there in the Middle East somewhere, and it's dust. All right? Uh, Yet in my flesh I will behold God. What did he say? In my flesh. So his body is nothing now, but in his flesh he's going to see God. And whom with my eyes will see not another. You see what he's saying? He said, there's going to be a resurrection. I'm going to have a body and I'm going to see my Redeemer with my own eyes. That's 
It's pretty cool, isn't it? All right, let's flip over a couple more pages over. Let's look at um, uh, 1 Thessalonians. And this is y'all, the, the rapture passage. Somebody was asking if it was the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Corinthians. This is a new Bible. My pages are sticking. 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. First Thessalonians 4, verse 13. Now, I want to, before I read this, I want to give you guys some backdrop to this because I know that a lot of people probably come here and teach you the rapture, like, and they use 1 Thessalonians. That, uh, and they're going to go right to the text that says um, that... For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout of the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise. I'm sure y'all have heard that passage before, right? All right, but I want to give you the background to the book of Thessalonians, the first Thessalonians. Paul was writing to a people and he was addressing a problem that they had in the church. And this was the problem. There were some people running around and telling them that Jesus had already turned, returned and they had missed his coming. Right, Jesus had already turned and, and they had missed his coming. So it would be like a first century left behind. Are you with me? Like, in other words, there's a bunch of people running around saying, well, Jesus has already returned. So what now? And so Paul wrote this letter to address him. So what Paul is saying here is this is not some kind of secret thing where he's going to snatch people away and nobody's going to be aware of it. What he's trying to let you know is, is that when he rips that sky open and that trumpet sounds, the whole world's going to know it. Like it's going to be obvious. In other words, what Paul is doing is he's trying to comfort these people. And what is he saying? You haven't missed it because when it comes, there's no way you can miss it. All right. So look what he says. Uh, First Thessalonians four verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Now, what they were telling them is, is that, they're, that uh, the, the ones that were asleep, they're not going to get to be resurrected because they're already dead, right? It says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So what's he saying? When Jesus comes back on the day of the Lord, when he returns, who's coming with him? All of the believers who, where are their bodies right now? In the ground rotting or if they got, yeah, they're dead. Their bodies are corrupt, but where are their souls? They've been with Jesus. Do you remember in the book of the Revelation how it's got all of the people crying around the throne of God saying, how long, O Lord, how long before you avenge us? Right? When are you going to make this right, God? Who do you think that is crying at? I know that some people teach you that that's just the martyr saints from the tribulation, but the reality is it's all of those who are around the throne of God. All right? And so what does he say? He says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those that have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven 
and with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. He's coming back, and he's coming back to get his people. Right? And there's a comfort in that. Right? He says that he will come with a shout and the trumpet of God. In the Old Testament, why would they blow a trumpet in the Old Testament? Anybody know? Why did they blow trumpets in the Old Testament? To so, so, uh, so alarm the people. A warning? Good. What else? Royalty. If royalty was coming, good. That's another one. And one more. A war. What did they do when they blew the trumpet? What, what did you know to do? Yeah, gather together. So the trumpet gathers the troops. All right. And so when it says the trumpet of God, that's what it's pointing to. He's calling his people, right? He's telling them, "Come on!" And he and the trumpet is a warning. It's, and and it's not something quiet. It's not like silent. It's it's blasted everywhere. It's a warning. That the judgment is here. And so uh, we need to understand that on this last day, look what Paul says there uh, in verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So who is that? All of the believers that have come back with him. What's going to happen to their bodies? They're going to raise up. And then we who are alive are going to be pulled up with them, and everybody's getting what at that point? Well, that rapture just being snatched away. But what are we all getting? Our glorified bodies. That's exactly right. So the dead in Christ rise first, and as they're coming out of the ground, as they go start to be lifted up, what happens to those of us who are still alive? We go up with them. All right, now. But is that the old bodies? Is, is that our old bodies going No. Up? It's going to be our glorified body. Look, all right, we, and we're going to get that in just a second. So let's go ahead and answer that. You, right on time. Really good. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just a couple pages back to the left. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Y'all there? Y'all faster than I am. This new Bible's kind of tied now. All right. Yes, ma'am. So if your soul is already there, why do you have to have your glorified body? Like, I'm confused. If your soul is already there, because you were created to be body and soul. So we need a new earth, right? It's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And you're going to have a new body to go... And it's not going to get tired, and you're not going to have to wear deodorant, and you're not, you ladies won't have to worry about all those pains every month, right? And you guys won't have to worry about your hair falling out. And it's going to be a wonderful time, and we won't lose our strength. And we're going to work. Like, it's going to be a world. It's going to be a wonderful world, and work's going to be fun. Like, you're going to look forward to getting up going to work. You know that's what we were created to do, right? We were created to work. The reason why it sucks so bad when the alarm clock goes off is because we're fallen creatures. And we hate doing what we were created to do. We were created to work and serve. I guarantee you that every one of you in this room, um, I guarantee you that everyone in this room, 
you will thrive in this life if you will get on a routine and go to work every day and have a patterned life. You know what I'm saying? Like, get up every day at the same time, go and you're saying, oh, that's so boring, that's tough. Like, who wants to live like that? You got to go get up. And the reality is, is that, that we were created to live that pattern. And you, I can tell, I can't speak for you girls because I've never been one of you, but I can tell you guys <laughs> that we are that we are fit best when we're getting up every day and going to work and earning a paycheck. We got we got a little pride about ourselves. We got some money in our pocket. We don't have to depend on other people. Yeah, right. right? You know what I mean? And like, it's a blessing if God gives you a job that you actually like look forward to going to. Right? But work is work. It's laborious. Like, that's what my mom always said. How was work day? It was laborious. Like, I'm tired. <laughs> I went work. But you lay your head down at night, you go to sleep. Like, your body is like ready to shut down. It feels good to get a good hot shower. It's like we were created to do these things. And so, back to your question, when we get our new bodies, they're not going to get tired anymore. They're not going to get sick. There's not going to be sadness and depression anymore. There's not going to be doubt and confusion or misunderstandings or lies. Or we, we, I, I was sharing with you the other night. One of the promises in the scripture is that we will know as we are known. Mm-hmm. You have the mind of Christ now if you're a child of God. But the problem is, is y'all know the human body, we, our brains, we only use what? Uh, not half. And not even a quarter. It's about 10%. You use about 10% of your brain power. And the reality is, is that when Adam was in, when Adam was in the garden, Adam was using 100% of his brain. Yeah, he didn't have, he didn't have a curse on him, right? Right. And still didn't do the right thing. Is that right? Right. That's that old free will that everybody's trying to hold on to and say, oh, I got free will. Adam used his free will. It cost him his freedom. He lost half in the burn? No, the, the dying process, we just, our, our bodies are dying. Like, we don't, did you, you don't notice that Adam lived to be how old? Oh, right at a thousand years old. And then by the time of Moses and the flood, knowing the flood, people were only living about 120 years. So what happened to the, the life expectancy? Shrinking, right? And I guarantee you that we, I can promise you that the kids that, I, that work for me now, these 16-year-old kids that work for me, I promise you they're using less brain than I did 30 years ago when I was still 40 years ago. All they do is stare at a phone all day. Like They don't they have no sense. <laughs> they're just teenagers. But the point being is, is that we think that we're so wise and we got all of this information and knowledge and we can Google anything at any time. And the reality is we, we're still couldn't pull boot out of a, a water out of a boot if the directions were on the bottom of it. Like we're, we're not very smart folks. And, and so one day we'll have that full mind again. So does that kind of answer that question? No. no. All right. <laughs> Explain again what you were asking. Explain again what you were asking. Okay. So you have a soul. Yes. Why do you have to have a body? Yeah. So, whose image were you created in? Jesus. Hmm? You were created in God's image. Right. And when God came and came to the earth, what did he look like? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Yeah, he clothed himself in human flesh. Right? And so, we're, we're, we're created in that image. Body and soul. We're created in that same image. And so... 
remember the reason that our bodies die and turn to dust is why? Because the earth is under a curse. He said, curse is the ground that you walk on. So you still have to have your body in your turn. Yes. You'll have a new body. And, yeah. Well, it'll be heaven and earth. New heaven and new earth. All right, so let's look at this passage. Uh, look at verse 42 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, well, let's start at verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars and glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a corruptible body. It is raised an incorruptible body. All right, so I'm just going to answer your question for you. This is what it's saying. All right, watch. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in a corruptible body. It is raised in an incorruptible body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You get a new kind of body. Our old body is still being lifted up, but we get a new body. It's it's you're being translated. It's being translated from a corruptible body to an incorruptible body. It's being transformed. Amen. Okay. So it's gonna look different. I'm sorry. It's gonna look different. Yeah, we're gonna be different. We're gonna be different. Now, now here's here's one that. Here's one you can track, though. What about, like, uh, what are you going to do with all of the, uh, like, people that died when they were, like, six or died in the womb? Are you with me? Yeah. Like, what do we do with that? That's something the Bible won't answer. That's something that you're going to have to determine on your own. I, I personally think that we were all, we all have that ideal person that we are. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, the best version of yourself. So, I think that like infants and kids that die like nine are going to be there. What Adam was in in paradise. Whatever age he was in paradise. Like when he was was made in paradise. I I don't know that for sure. This is all speculation. But it's something to think about, is it not? Like, I mean, that's something to wrestle with. What are you going to do with the kids that die when they're six years old? When they're raised up, are they going to be get a glorified body that's only six? I don't know. That's confusing even more. Huh? Confusing. It shouldn't confuse us. God's in control, and he's going to do it, whatever he wants. Right. Well, how do you know that we're going to be, like, our age and our side, how do you know that's that? That's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like, like no, about so if I die at right. 23, I'll be 23 at that? I don't know. I, I don't know. Huh? I'm gonna have a. You're gonna be your the ideal you, I think. Yeah, I feel like I'll be like the version, like my prime version, like the prime, the ideal version of. So I think I'm gonna be born at 36, but I haven't reached 36 yet, and I die tomorrow. So I'm gonna be 36 in heaven. 
We don't. We, again, listen, guys. This is all, guys. This is all speculation. The reality is, is you're gonna be, you're gonna be planted a corruptible seed, and you're gonna be raised an incorruptible seed. It's right there. We look at it again. Verse uh, four-two. So also is the resurrection, resurrection of the dead. It is sown a corruptible body. It is raised an incorruptible body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. What does it mean to say we're sown? It's sown. What does it mean to sow something? Plant it, right? So it's like you plant a seed. So you plant this seed and it's corruptible. When it comes out the ground, it's going to be incorruptible. When you plant this seed, you plant it in dishonor. It's an ugly thing to plant a dead body, isn't it? It's dishonorable. All right? But it's going to be raised in glory. It's going to be sown in weakness. It's going to be raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there will also be a spiritual body. Okay. All right. So also, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a living spirit. However, the spiritual is not known. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also is those who are earthy. And as is heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. So we're going to have a heavenly body. What's it going to look like? I don't know. But what he had just said was the star's got a, a body, the sun's got a body, the moon's got a body, and they all have their different kind of glories. And we're going to be raised up glorious. You start out as a natural body, but you end in a spiritual body. Yes. We're planted in a natural body. Right. We're raised in a spiritual body. What is the spiritual body going to look like? I don't know. It's going to look like what Jesus' body looked like when he came out of the grave. Because he's the firstborn of he's the firstborn he's the first resurrected right so I, I'm going to leave it in his hands he's created this world that we have and this world is beautiful and amazing and beyond our ability to plunge the depth of how wonderful it is and this is all dying and corruptible imagine what it's going to look like when it's not dying and not corruptible right I would love to think that. I would love to think that when I will inherit like uh, a beautiful uh, like a, a, a island out in the Caribbean or like something like the Caribbean like a, and it's my own island and I can just stand out there all alone and feel the eternal breeze blowing and enjoy a relationship with my God and my Savior and have my family and my brothers and sisters come over and like hang out on the island or go to my friend's house and the Antarctic or wherever. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think about things like that. I think it'll be wonderful. I think God's got a wonderful plan for us when it comes to eternity. And we just have to trust Him with that. But He does give us some basics to grasp. Right? So there's an earthly body. There's a spiritual body. All right, last thing, and then we'll wind it down because we are running out of time. Um, so the bodies of the just and the unjust at the general resurrection. This is how we'll finish the class. All right? So we've been talking about those raised with a spiritual body that are righteous. But look what the, the paragraph says. The bodies of the unjust shall, shall, by the power of Christ, be raised to dishonor. The bodies of the unjust will be raised to dishonor. The bodies of the just, by his spirit, unto honor 
and be made conformable, conformable, man, that's a tough word to say, conformable to his own glorious body. All right? So what's it saying there? It's saying the body of the unjust, by the power of Christ, will be raised to dishonor. What's going to happen? They're going to get an eternal, they're going to get a new body. But they're going to be raised to dishonor. So what's going to happen? The moment that their soul and their eternal body are joined together, where are they going? In the hell and the lake of fire. See how that works? And it's going to be eternal torment because that body's never, it's an eternal body. And it's going to be an eternal torment. This is what this one says. It says, I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, that this is our physical bodies that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. Yeah. So, like, wherever your spirit or your soul goes is where you're going to be. Yes. Yes. Well, so when he comes and returns after the judgment, his people, after, after the sheep and the goat are separated and the goats are all cast into hell, then the sheep are going to inherit the kingdom that God has prepared for them. So with a new body and a new soul, we will have a new heaven and a new earth. And how long will it last? Forever. And we won't mess up no more. Like we won't screw up and eat the fruit the wrong way. Like we will be eternally good. And that's good. All right. All right. One last uh, verse of scripture and then we'll be done. Because I do want to show where Jesus teaches. So look at John chapter 5. We'll, we'll close with this passage. Just something else for you to think about. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. John chapter 5. Actually, we'll start in verse 25. John chapter 5, verse 25. You ready? Here we go. This is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. All right. He's actually talking about salvation right there, isn't he? We're spiritually, what did Paul say? Uh, You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were spiritually dead. And he says, truly, truly, an hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear it will live. Right? So God shares his promises, and those who are dead in trespasses and sin will hear it. And what happens when they hear it? It brings life to them. All right. For just as the father has life in himself, even so he gave the son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear the voice and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. All right, let me read that one more time and then we'll close with prayer. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For, uh, for just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming. There's coming an hour when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Is that the same thing that Paul was teaching? It's the exact same thing Paul's teaching. And will come forth those who did good 
to the resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. All right, I lied. I'm a Baptist. We to say this is the last verse, but I'm going to go to one more verse. Go to Daniel really quick. Daniel chapter 12. I promise this is the last verse. I won't, I won't lie to you. Daniel chapter 12. And let's look at that verse. This is all the way back in the book of Daniel. So this is Old Testament. So I wonder if this, I wonder if this applies to us. Hmm. Let's see. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Now at that time, Daniel chapter 12 verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will stand. And there will be a time of distress such as has never happened since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. What book is he talking about? The book of life. Everyone who's written in that book will be rescued, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but others to reproach and everlasting contempt. That's all the way back in Daniel. And what's Daniel saying? There's going to be a resurrection, and all of those whose names are written in the book of life are going to what? Inherit the eternal kingdom, and all of those who are not written in the book of life are going to inherit hell and judgment forever. So, if you are here today and you have never trusted Christ, repent. Turn away from trusting in yourself and turn to what he has done for you. All, all we have to do is recognize that we are sinners and that he is a Savior and turn away from sin and self and turn and trust in him alone. Put your trust in him. For those of you who are in this room and you have trust in him and you know in your heart he's given you that seal of his spirit and you know inside that you are truly a child of God, be thankful. You have a hope. And that hope is an eternal hope. And we don't have to be afraid of him coming back. Because when he comes back, he's coming to get us. And not only that, when he sees you, he sees his son. He sees the goodness of his son. And we can we can come to him and be thankful for not only his justice, but for his mercy and his grace as well. Amen. Father, thank you for this time you've given us together tonight. I do pray that this gives us all some things to think about. Um, there is certainly so much in your scriptures, Lord, that we don't understand. There's so many things that you have left for us to uh, not know. And that's okay because you are an all-knowing God who knows what is best for us even when we don't. And so my prayer is that we will take these truths, these scriptural truths, and allow them to give us hope. Allow them to give us a wonderful desire to see you come back quickly so that we can inherit the kingdom that you have purchased for us through your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did to save us. So thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for your comfort and the peace that comes from knowing you. And Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming and dying on that cross and taking the death I deserve, taking the death we deserve, so that we can have a life we can never earn. We are a good and a merciful Savior and a good shepherd. And we are thankful to be your sheep. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.